0: Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, another day, another podcast. How's everything? Things are going pretty well out of the um, the 5K part of book launch. So I'm grooving into my half marathon pace. Excited to be talking to you about something Um that is completely unrelated to the practice of groundedness this week. um, But nonetheless, a really important topic. You know, I read, this is a small divergence, but I love this story.
1: I read a story that reminded me of book launch and what we talked about last week, which is an elite athlete entered a road race, thought it was a 10K, but it ended up being a half marathon. And in the middle of the race, he asked, Is this a 10K? And they say, no, it's a half marathon. And he goes on to win the half marathon and like run a personal best. Uh, There was a news article last week. So that summarizes how I see where we're at. We just moved from 5K or 10K we thought we were racing. Now we got the half and we're about to win it. That's what I'm saying.
0: I appreciate the positive energy. Um, What's in your copy this morning, Steve? (laughs) Yeah. But I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, all right. Well, listen, before we roll into the podcast, two ways to support us. Uh, we want to keep this show sponsored. Not we want. We are going to keep this show sponsorship free. We are committed to having this bad boy be independent, 100% member funded. So the first way to support us is just that. Become a member of the Growth EQ Patreon community. We've got all kinds of neat bonuses if you join Those include signed copies of our books, exclusive book clubs with best selling authors every month, quarterly mastermind group, new eBooks, and you get exclusive access to these podcasts when they first drop. So you get to listen before anyone else. So check us out on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. And the second
1: way you can help us out is directly by buying our books. And our latest book by Brad is The Practice of Groundedness. So if you're new, check it out. If you've been on the fence and have been listening, you know, do us a favor, take a look, get a copy. You know, if you've read it and find it wonderful, spread the word to friends because, you know, uh, underlying everything that we put out from our free weekly newsletter to these podcasts what allows us to do that really is our writing careers so how do we keep our writing careers going by you know making sure we're successful at launching these books and beyond helping us i guarantee you the book will help you it is the foundation to performance and well-being often we spend we spend our time focused on the details and what I call the sexy parts of performance, but what really determines whether we make it over the long haul or not is the foundation. And Brad's book, The Practice of Groundedness, really illustrates what that foundation is and the science to creating it. And check it out.
0: So with that, you know, Steve, I- just yeah, just hearing you talk about that, I feel all warm and affectionate and lovey-dovey inside hearing such a good friend say such nice words about my book and treat it as if it were his. There's a lot of empathy going on there, and apparently there is a lack of empathy in the National Football League. So, Steve, why don't you tee up the, um, the story that ran in the ringer on the NFL's empathy gap that is going to be the inroads to today's discussion on empathy versus analytics more broadly that
1: might have been your best transition of our entire podcast i just want to say that wonderfully done so the nfl's empathy gap as brad said a article in the ringer which we both love check it out if you haven't we're going to use this to talk not only about sports but about uh, leadership and communication in life what they essentially found is that Really, the NFL is struggling with this this communication, right? This having empathy for understanding that they're dealing with human beings, and it's not just a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet, a bunch of you know analytic data of how to assemble the best team. It's not fantasy football; is dealing with real life people, and apparently, you know, if you trust this reporting, which we do, is it's a real struggle um, as Sports have shifted more towards data and analytics, and it's a struggle for people in the front office to um, understand and communicate with the players on a day-to-day basis and understand the common humanity the humanity they share and um, the struggle that that entails. And this is perhaps no better illustrated than the Aaron Rodgers fiasco of this offseason which if you're an NFL fan or a Green Bay Packers fan you'll be well um, versed and familiar with this story but long story short essentially Aaron Rodgers won an NBA, NFL MVP last year played phenomenally well but you know was at wit's end with management and team ownership because of essentially what comes down to a lack of communication and understanding where the team is, you know, doing X, Y, Z and Rogers is sitting there being like, wait a minute, like I'm an NFL MVP trying to lead my team to a uh, Super Bowl. Like, what are we doing here? What are we actually, you know, trying to perform at? So that discord there created a lot of drama, which affected You know, not only Rodgers, but the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, on paper, they have one of the best teams in in the NFL. But it could all come crumbling down, even though the talent's there, just because of communication and a lack of empathy and understanding.
0: I love how you mentioned fantasy football, because I think that's what the Packers did in this situation. They got into the mindset of a fantasy football organization, not an actual organization. So in fantasy football, you bench Aaron Rodgers if he has a mismatch and you picked up this other random quarterback that is going to have a great week because there's nine injuries on the other team. Aaron Rodgers doesn't care because you're a fantasy football owner in your suburban home on your internet, on your computer. The Packers are running their team – as if it's a fantasy football team. They're making these decisions purely based on analytics and short-term, what, what what the analytics say you should do, without thinking about the human emotion. So in fantasy football, if you bench Aaron Rodgers one week to play the next guy, you get to start Aaron Rodgers the next week. In real life, if you do it, Aaron Rodgers is going to be like, WTF, mate? Like, what's going on here? And I think that's the perfect metaphor for what seems to be happening across the NFL, As as you mentioned, is the league has become so infatuated by data driven decision making?
1: Yeah, and it's really it's a natural thing, right? Is once you get as the data and the analytics have grown, and there's a lot of value to that, but what happens is you stop you 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 emphasize what you pay attention to, and what you pay attention to like gains prominence. So if all we're doing is pouring over the data and the analytics and how do we maximize, you know, our performance on the field through looking at, you know, these statistics and wins above replacement, like what value does the player or the specific combination give us? It often leads us to this like plug and play right, where it's like, oh, this combination at this time gives us the best chance statistically to score more touchdowns, to win, et cetera, et cetera. But what we lack there is we lack the human component, right? The status, the ego, the, you know, uh, cohesion among the team, the like priming of the players to be able to perform or the safety the psychological safety to allow them to play to win instead of being afraid of like oh man if i screw up my job's on the line like i'm gonna play fear of failure et cetera. so like when we go too far in one direction we set ourselves up to like be lacking in this other side which plays just as much a role in performance. And I think that's what you're seeing here a little bit in the NFL and also in just in the performance world in general, it's no different than a CEO becoming so obsessed with profits and efficiency while neglecting that like his, his or her, her drive for efficiency is leading to employee like burnout and disgruntleness that, eventually is going to,
0: you know, lead to a decrease in performance. So I'm getting excited because I'm going to take us to Buddhism for a minute. This is what I do here. So in Buddhism, there is this notion of how you string a lute. And a lute is an instrument. And you don't want to string the lute too tight. And you don't want to string the lute too loose. You want to string the lute somewhere in the middle to get the best sound. And I think what is happening in the organizational world, not just the NFL, but more broadly, is the lute stringers struggle with extremes. They either want to string that bad boy so tight into be purely analytics driven, or they want to string it so loose into be purely instinctive, by feel, emotion driven. And the Buddha taught that the way to enlightenment is the middle path, the middle way. And it's really hard to figure out the middle. But I think in this case, that is the challenge that will bring these organizations, excuse me, these organizations, sustainable performance and success. And, um, you know, we always talk about how the pendulum swings, the pendulum swings from no vulnerability to performative vulnerability from everything by feel to everything by analytics and data and you know every once in a while an extreme makes sense but most of the time you got to walk the middle path and i think this is an area where that is true
1: yeah you know i i love that example and i i love that you just went straight to buddhism and i'm talking about sports and science that describes our relationship so well (laughs) balancing things out but that's really what it is about you know and i've long thought about and struggled with this actually the first book i ever wrote science of running if you're it's a very dense scientific book but if you read that book okay the first half is just like down the rabbit hole science and then the second half is just like, oh, let's forget about this. And we're going like straight art of coaching. Like this is all experience and feel. And I remember when writing that and considering that I was wrestling with the same idea, right? Which is, hey, we can go like all the way down the scientific standpoint or this analytic standpoint, or we could go over here on this other side and have this like, you know, experiential, like history, passed down norms, et cetera, et cetera, with no science at it. And I think it really is like balancing those, those two sides. And it's not to say you shouldn't go down like one path necessarily, but you have to bring yourself back out. Right. And I think that's the key is that we often get lost on like one extreme when we go down that path and aren't able to like get ourselves back out. Like there's some, for instance, if we're using the NFL, you know, you might have to go super narrow and like all data and analytics when you're doing certain contract decisions, but then you have to zoom back out to see that like they're people. And then, then that decision like might work from a financial standpoint, but what is it going to do to your team chemistry or culture or, or, you know, set the expectations for the guys who are looking for their next contract, for example.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the stop gaps that people can put into place organizationally? And also, you know, as you were saying that also individually, like sleep tracking, step tracking, calorie counting, all of these various ways that, that we quantify and measure ourselves and our behaviors are really the same. And You know, it just occurred to me, like insight moment here for me anyways, is that I think individual burnout is the same as Aaron Rodgers burnout. If you obsess so much about, again, like all these metrics in your life without any like emotional relationship to yourself and what you're trying to do, you're going to get fed up and miserable, just like it seems like what's happening with Aaron Rodgers. So how do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater? And take the analytic, metric, data-driven approach to the point where it has good value, but then stop before we overdo it. Like maybe that would be what we can provide on this podcast. Let's work through this. Like, what's the kind of principles or what's the checklist to to string that loot in, in the middle?
1: Yeah, you know, I think this will, will be, be fun to do on the fly here. Um I think it comes down to a couple different things. If we're zooming out to the group first, group, team, organization, whatever have you. I think it's a recognition of like in of what people actually need. Right? What are their kind of basic needs? In the sense that everybody wants to feel, you know, wanted, valuable, competent, all those things. We can go down the science of where psychology if we want to, but I think that like you have to Recognize and understand that and then and then make sure you're setting up your organization to like value and appreciate that, even if you're going down like the hardcore science or analytics or whatever, whatever we have here. Right. Because what af- often happens is that because we have these two sides of this coin or spectrum is. it becomes like us versus them, right? You have like the old school experiential coaches, and then you have like the new school, like quants analytics, and it becomes like us versus them, which then amplifies status, which amplifies this like ego battle, right? And, And that to me from an organizational standpoint is like, how do we manage this status, this ego, this like us versus them? And instead, create a culture where instead of, you know, battling for our little tribal spot or our place in the organization or competency, we can make sure that everybody feels like to a degree valued enough and secure and safe enough where they can espouse their, uh, you know, espouse their beliefs and we can value that as a whole.
0: Yeah, and i think that that requires going slow to go fast too because the analytics game is really quick like you do something you get a result and then you make a decision and i wonder if some of the reason that the the packers organization forgot to talk to aaron rodgers is cuz they just were in too much of a rush like it takes time to bring someone along but again like i want to check my own thinking the middle way is really important because I've also consulted with organizations where all they do is bring people along and a hundred people are CC'd on every meme email and every decision is made by consensus. And those are equally like destructive tendencies in problems. Um, so yeah, it's like, what's the right, it's trying to figure out that elusive right level of being data driven, thinking in a robotic, very hyper-rational way. Versus being really empathetic and prioritizing like consensus or bringing everybody along to the best of your ability. And, you know, as my my own meditation teacher, Judson Brewer would say, the answer to every question in life is just pay attention. (laughs) Like maybe that's how you figure out like for your own situation, what the middle way is, it's by paying really close attention to what you do and what you get from it yeah i
1: i think the attention piece is incredible and what i would say there is make sure you have people on your team who have like those different abilities and those different uh skill sets or biases because we all have this bias towards one direction or another especially in this like leadership level because if you have people who can understand the the quantitative, the hard science, whatever, and people who maybe trend towards the uh the soft science, the soft skills, like making sure that those people can get along and interact and like balance off of each other in a position of leadership or power like helps set the stage for the organization to be able to too, uh, which I think is important,
0: right, yeah. I think so. Um, So, all right. If our answer is like an unanswer, pay attention, then maybe it is asking yourself, having a heuristic where you say, hey, for this particular area of my life, for this particular organizational decision, where on the spectrum of data-driven quantified measurement on the one hand, or Empathy, human, gut instinct by feel. On the other hand, where do I want to be? And then how can I hold myself to being there? And it's really hard to do because the temptation to change is very strong. So if you decide that the thing is analytically driven, you're going to probably have all these urges because of your gut instinct because of your need for excitement and dopamine to like, oh, well, it just feels right. So I'm going to do this thing that feels right. And if you make the decision to go by feel, you can often get really insecure and go search for data that supports what you want to do. So I think that it's like two levels. One is asking yourself again for this thing. If I think of these two poles, where do I want to be? And then second, what are the traps I'm going to run into? And then if I'm aware of those traps, how can I make sure that I stick to my plan to the best of my ability?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it really is getting back to it attention. And then what you got up there is like the self awareness. And what I guess often goes on is because it's such a rush type of job, especially in this example of sports, but other examples of CEOs and stuff is it's such a rush, like time dependent, feel like you need to make decisions type jobs that you don't give yourself the time and space to have those moments of attention and self awareness, right? Because all we're all we're kind of saying is, like, take the time to understand where you're at, where you think you need be need to be. And then also maybe like, look the other way. Right? If, if, everybody's going in this analytics decision, like stop, just pause for a moment, turn around and be like, hey, are we missing something in the other direction? And sometimes that answer can be, is often no. Um, or it's, you know what, we're missing a little bit of, of this, but like the trade-off, we think the rewards are worth the the risk. But like having that moment to pause and turn around at least gives you this heuristic to like, you know, consider, Hey, are we missing something in this other end of the poll that maybe we're biased to not consider as much?
0: Yeah. So let's try to play this out with a real life example, um, to, to really try to make this concrete. Um, all right, we're going to do this on the fly, Steve, you're going to coach me a little bit. Here's a plug, by the way. For those that don't know, Steve is expanding his performance coaching practice uh, outside of just working with athletes. So we're going to see what he's made of in real time. Oh, this could be bad. There it goes. No, I don't think so. So, all right. This is something that is on my mind uh, quite a bit right now. So, you know, Steve, Theo, my son, is not yet vaccinated. And my partner, Caitlin, and I are quite risk averse. So, we've made the decision to really shut down just about all kinds of like public indoor things just because the the cost benefit expected value is so low because we're so risk averse. So, included in that is training at the gym. So, since the Delta variant resurged, which was what late July, I've been doing all of my strength training alone in the basement. And recently, I just haven't wanted to do it. I don't want to do it before, and during, I don't want to do it. I'm constantly like, I'm feeling guilty that I'm not walking my dog, that I'm not trying to market the ground in this book, that I'm not reading, and I'm like rushing the workouts because the whole goal of the workout is to get done with the workout. Now, I feel better after because, of course... But I also tell myself, well, if I just took my dog on a long walk, I'd get like, it's a different kind of like workout induced mood enhancer, but I'd still get it. And then it's like, well, who gives a shit if I lift 1200 versus 1100 pounds? Like I don't. So emotionally, like my, my non-analytic side, it's like, oh, I should just stop doing this thing. My more analytical brain says, well, well, of course you're feeling like this because you've been doing it alone in your basement and what energizes you is like being a part of the community and having fun and like going to a physical place where other people are doing the same thing. And the first time that this happened, like COVID round number one for that two month period where COVID was effectively zero here, I was back in the gym and I was super energized. And I would spend two hours in the gym. And now I'm like, can I get my workout done in a half an hour so I can like read or take care of the dog or do other things? So I'm really at this point, like currently I had this today where it's like, do do I need to be strength training in a goal oriented way? Or should I just take my dog on longer walks? So help me, help me like use this as an example. And all of this is real. I mean, I'm sure you can tell, like, this is actually what's going on in in my brain right now. And I also think that hopefully it's helpful for listeners because my sense is everybody faces these kinds of predicaments from time to time.
1: You know, my solution is you should just ditch it all and go for a run. All right, done. Um, Just kidding. There you go, guys. That's what you pay Steve the big bucks to tell you. That's, That's the solution to life. Just kidding. All right. So, here's here's what I would suggest or here's what I would tell you if you came to me with that problem. I would say first off, like your sensation of like feeling like oh, the drive, the motivation is going away a little bit is telling you some good information. First it's telling you like what you're missing and what you value out of out of training, right? So it's not just getting fit. It's not just like doing hard things. The community aspect is important. So I would challenge you to ask, well, can you find that in some similar other regard? You know, um, that could be in changing your exercise routine. It could be trying something different in a group, maybe outdoor setting or something like that uh, to get some, some of that benefit, maybe once a week or something like that. So that's one thing I I challenge you to explore if that matters, because lifting weights is just one way to get, you know, benefits that could be derived in similar sessions, you know?
0: Sure. But the part of me that is like hesitant about that is the part that is like very much addicted to progress and like i also lift weights because i do like the doing something real and mastery and seeing very tangible results so there's another part of me that's like you know just freaking stay at it reduce the volume which i've talked to the guy that writes my programming and i have been doing like really pare down to what's essential and even if you dread it and even if while you're doing it you're not really enjoying it like just bridge that gap because Theo's is going to get vaccinated seems like now, hopefully by the end of the year, and then you'll be back in the gym and you'll be happy that you're, you're not starting from, you know, a, a month or two off, but from a place where you've maintained the basics.
1: So what I would ask there is, um, <coughs> is can you change your phase of training? Right? Like, if we're looking at lifting and your goal is okay i want to like see progress and get better can you not zoom out a little bit and say i want to see progress and get better but my goal is you know by i don't know february or whatever it is some longer horizon say this is when i really want to see improvement so can i change the exercise routine the progress Up, So it's sustainable where I'm maintaining in this lifting domain, but maybe doing some sort of like general strength circuit, etc, that makes me a better athlete so that when I come back to full, like full bore on lifting, like maybe I've raised my bar so that you can satisfy this like goal orientation, plus this like community orientation and like balance them at once until you're ready to like go back into the gym.
0: But is that goal orientation just like compulsion and addiction? Like what's the case for not just like saying, screw it. I have enough in my life. Like I want to sell copies of books to quote our friend Ryan Holiday. Like I'm not trying to win at my hobby. Why don't I just walk Ananda for an hour and a half every day and let that be that? I mean, I literally have written the article that for like physical and mental health, walking gets you 99.99% of the way there. Um, So why don't I just do that? And then I come back, the story I tell myself is it's like, well, the doing hard things is really beneficial and walking the dog isn't hard, but I don't know, like it's a lot more enjoyable.
1: So my question there then becomes, It sounds like you need to really drill down why you like lifting weights.
0: Yeah, I like lifting weights for a couple of reasons. As I said, I think I enjoy it more when I'm in the community and I can like get more into like, you know, training, progress, nerding out because I'm doing it with other people that are pursuing similar goals. It's more fun. I like it because I feel better after, though I'm not positive it would be much different if I just replaced it with a walk. And I like it because there is like a very sense of like concrete. I either got stronger or I didn't that I don't get in other areas of my life. And I don't know that sense of concrete. I either got stronger or I didn't what it would look like to put that down, you know, and you have some experience with this because you don't run for like concrete results anymore. So, so in your life, like, where do you get that concrete? Am I better or am I not? I mean, I don't.
1: I would say in my life, like, I don't really care too much about like that. Am I better or am I not? Because I spent so long pursuing that. So what I would say there is, is this is to me, it comes down to like, if I was coaching you, I'd tell you to take an experiment is to use an experiment which means like take a block away from training and see if like you miss this concrete, am I better or not? So much that you understand if that's like a primary driver and a very important driver at this time in your life, which is fine because your drivers are going to gonna shift and change. And there's nothing wrong with like, I need to see progress in some area. And if this gives you that progress in some area, maybe that's better than seeking that in other aspects of your life where it might not be as healthy.
0: Right. But what you're also saying, because that's my fear that like when it goes away, I'm going to like seek it elsewhere. But there's a part of me that's like, shit, like I've done a fair amount of like meditation, Maybe I genuinely like don't need that elsewhere. And maybe life will just be like a lot more free if I didn't feel like I needed it.
1: So that's why I would suggest some defined period of time where you give yourself the freedom to explore that where knowing that like, hey, I'm going to come back to this at this point and you might change your mind. But that defined period of time tells you like, hey, like it's all right. I have this thing that I'm going to come back to it and what, and how I would help with the like performance standpoint is I would just go to the, here's where I'm going to pull out my exercise science nerd out here. I would go to the literature that shows pretty clearly, especially in lifting that if you take, you know, uh, let's say a three to four week block off is often it helps with adaptation and improvement and strength and power. Um, because you get this muscle fiber type shift a little bit over compensation, which then boosts you up the next time. And, but and that defeats
0: was- the purpose because then in my mind it's like a break to get better at the thing. Like I almost think it has to have a little bit more of like an all or nothing. Like I'm like, I'm like done doing this unless I really miss it. But the part of me that's addicted to progress right now says like oh like I better call Zach who's my coach and like we better test before I do this because like this could be it.
1: <laughs> so I think that tells you something though.
0: That tells you that like
1: it still matters a little bit and like you still want to see how good you can be in this, which is fine. But
0: I don't know if that addiction is good or not. I, I, I don't that addiction like not that it's good or not. I don't think it makes me like a bad person. But if that addiction takes four hours, really four and a half hours a week if I don't rush it, well, would that time be better spent meditating, walking with dogs, some combination? And again, the irony is it used to take eight and a half hours a week because when I went to the gym, everything takes twice as long because I'm like talking to people and I enjoyed it so much more, which then makes me think like it's not actually a time thing. It's that I'm an alone in my fucking basement thing. I think that's the
1: the key. The community is the key part of it.
0: So w- what I
1: I think and I hear you saying is I don't think you should throw the baby out with the bathwater and say like oh I'm just going to get rid of this forever because like I could better spend my time doing A B and C. I don't think the trade-off is how you look at it. <laughs> I think how you look at it is like Is this thing that I'm doing satisfying like basic fundamental needs that I need in my life right now? And I think what you were getting at before COVID hit and all this stuff is whether it was progress a little bit, whether it's community and doing hard things like in the gym, it satisfied this diversity of of needs that allowed you to be like, yeah, eight and a half hours, whatever. But like now that that community piece isn't there and you're not getting that satisfaction and you're only getting this one sliver that you may or may not need. We don't know, but like, it sounds like it gives you some purpose at this point. Like now you're
0: questioning that. And I think, <laughs> but I don't know if it's a, com- cause we something else we talk about on this is I don't know if it's a choice or a compulsion. I feel well, like I think- it's right on the edge of like, am I choosing to do this because it gives me that like tangible concrete progress or is it a compulsion? And in the short term, it feels like a compulsion because I know that like just going on a walk and meditating for longer would be better. But in the long term, it feels like a choice because I think if I let go of it, I'm going to regret letting go of it because of the other benefits. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I think the, I think the point there is it's always going to be on the edge of being a compulsion or choice because like that, that that's what things that like kind of satisfy some of these, uh, motivational drivers are, you know, even now, like I have no performance goals related to my own running. Right. But still it sometimes feels like a compulsion to get out there and run 45 minutes or just get in my daily run. Right. Um, just because it's like part of the habit loop that exists. It's part of like a little part of like my identity and sense of self is like being able to do these things. And I'm sure it's the same way there with like now that you're lifting and part of this community that values like strength and improvement, et cetera, like that's going to be a small part, like one of your possible selves or possible identities is like. I lift weights, I'm strong, I have the capability of doing x, x y and z that's valued in this community that means something to me that is valuable to me. So I I think you have to be really careful when you like just say up oh, this other thing going for walks meditation might be better or healthier and that might be objectively true but What you're saying when you ditch this stuff is like not only in this moment of like I'm getting rid of this progress in my basement, but you're forestalling or like um, diminishing the possibility of like future possible self, Brad, of like getting back involved in that community, which has some value to you.
0: Yeah, this is helpful. It's a lot to chew on. I think. Like it's a conversation with Zach who writes my programming about either that time off, which is the first thing that Caitlin said. She's like, just stop doing it for a month. I'm like, I can't do that. She's like, that's the reason that you probably need to. I'm like, no. Um, Or like, you know, in, in strength world, it would be cutting out all the auxiliary. So if two days a week, I squat three days a week, I do something for chest in one day a week i deadlift there would be none of that other stuff that un- inherently makes me better but it would just be keeping those main lifts for patterning and muscle memory maybe a little strength gains but maybe not going downstairs walking the dog for a warm up going doing five sets of deadlift takes 20 minutes at most with rest periods and then getting on with my day um, that that's probably what feels best and then if I'm still like, why am I doing this? Well, then maybe you cut that. And I think there will be a part of me, the part of me that's addicted to improvement, that's like, I should be doing more. And that'll also be like fun and interesting to watch. And Because the guy that coaches me is younger than me, and doesn't have kids and doesn't understand what it's like to constantly be chasing a kid. I'll probably get stronger not doing the auxiliary stuff anyways, because I'm probably too old for the auxiliary stuff. One of two things will happen. I'll get stronger or I'll tear my ACL. Probably both. (laughs) I take no responsibility for any tearing of the ACL based on this conversation. Yeah, this is Steve Magnus, who I once asked if he ever does any like supplementary work to running. And he's like, why would I do that? And then when I ask him why he doesn't run fast, it's because his Achilles is perpetually torn or like there's a bone sticking out of his heel or something.
1: You know, that's just how life is. So
0: what's the I, latest? Do you still do you still cut a hole in the back of your shoes just so no, you can I'm, like walk around? I'm perfectly healthy now. So knock on wood. That's great. You know, I am. I'm running. Does my this mean that you'll time. wear? Does this mean that you'll wear dress shoes to our next speaking engagement? Uh, probably not. But, you know, you know, you guys want to know how much Steve value is running? When, when Peak Performance and Am passion Paradox came out, we did a fair amount of speaking. And, you know, we'd show up. We'd do our best to to fit in. We'd wear the button downs and the khakis or corduroys. I don't think we ever wore slacks. We're not that corporate. But Steve would wear these bright orange sockety shoes with a little hole cut out in the back for his bone spur. <laughs> He'd be on stage with, with his bone hanging out of his shoe, talking about peak performance.
1: You know, that's so, how you got to do it. You got to keep it You guys got to
0: support us on Patreon so we can afford to get Steve a pair of dress shoes. Oh, man.
1: I wore them for my wedding, and that's about it. So it's uh, it's tough life with me and my dress shoes. So. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for like all the NBA players who have all this style, and then they wear like basketball shoes sometimes. I'm just like, oh, you guys are keeping me.
0: Well, then colors. let's at least get you a pair of stylish shoes. Like you don't have to wear like you know orange running shoes to a presentation. We can I get think- you like some Jordans or some Converse or some Saucony's that are like, you know, maybe next time you go to Saucony.com. What would it look like for you not to go to the running vertical, but to go to the lifestyle vertical? Uh, all right, Hillary, Hillary, if you're listening, help him with this. Oh, she hates my shoes. So here, right, no we,
1: kidding. here's Here's our coaching. We've gone on a very we've gone down a, a very strange path here. So if you're still listening, here's our suggestion. Here's our ask. I need help with shoes that are comfortable and won't, won't aggravate my notoriously difficult uh, Achilles and my uh, Haglund's deformity, which is essentially bone spur on the back. So if you're listening out there, you know, send in some suggestions. Help me. Brad will appreciate it because he'll stop so giving, me, giving me so much crap for showing up to our speaking engagements and running shoes. And my wife will forever be in your debt. So I'll listen. Send your shoes suggestions in. Tweet at us. Email us.
0: Message us, and you know we'll go from there. Yeah, you know, next week we're going to scratch our whole independent funded, and Steve's going to have nineteen shoe companies wanting to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> um, Comfortable so,
1: shoes. Comfortable shoes that. Aren't they don't running. even
0: have to be dress shoes. So I'm going to handle this. When you and Hillary come visit Asheville, we're going to go online. I, I get no payment from any of these companies. I think Saucony has like by far the best um, style, comfort, price mix. Um, so that's where I go because you can wear a pair of Saucony shoes, feel comfortable in them. And like wear a sport coat in dark jeans. Not that Steve owns a sport coat, but you could wear a sport coat in dark jeans with your sock and your shoes. I know, I know we've got a bunch of people in like the VC world that listen to this podcast and they know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a good look, but more importantly, it's comfortable. You can do a walking meeting and not have to worry about your Hegelian heel. <laughs>
1: I I love how this
0: podcast
1: went from empathy in the NFL to me coaching Brad to now Brad, this is Brad's version of coaching me. This is behind the scenes. You know, I try and give some great psychological insight and Brad is over here worried about the shoes. So put it into this debate, help us out and we'll just, we'll just go from there. I promise if we get some good suggestions from people, I will, I will change my
0: shoe, uh, shoe wearing for the special occasions. Love it. Okay. So we did talk about empathy. We talked about the loot in stringing it too tight or too loose and trying to find the middle way. We talked about how a lot of things in life benefit from some degree of very rigid, analytical, quantified thinking. Others are much more emotional, soft, qualitative thinking. How it can be helpful to say, this is my best guess of what the right balance is but pay close attention and adjust. But simply by being really aware of your hypothesis, what you're doing and what you're getting from it, you can over time find that middle way. Um, And then we went off on these these tangents. Before we wrap up, I think it would be really helpful, listeners, let us know what you think, right? Because sometimes we've got topics that are worthy of 45 minutes to an hour within themselves. Other times... You know, there's just a few concepts, tools, and principles like today that we could bang out in 20, 25 minutes. Um, Steve and I are going to do this personal banter regardless. The question is, do we keep recording or do we turn off the recording? So uh, let us know if you like this stuff, if you like the kind of behind the scenes look, um, or let us know if it is just annoying and you want to get on with your day. Um, I guess there's some selection bias because if you're still listening, you can't be that annoyed but um, it is something that we think often about for these these topics that um, we don't want to just talk about for the sake of talking about. So uh, yeah, should we hit record and keep recording or should we stop recording and then get into these conversations? So let us know. You can reach us um, through the Growth EQs website. Uh, you can leave a review on the podcast as well. So yeah. Um, that's that. Steve, anything else before we uh, before we let the, the good listeners go? No, I think that covers it. So if you haven't yet, check out the book, Practice of Groundedness.
1: Check out our Patreon, gro- patreon.com slash the growth equation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting and find me some shoes.
0: Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation Podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.